listen Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Oh, oh, closer Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to hear Listen Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you that are in the room, those of you that are tuning in online. If you're out in the atrium, thanks for being here today as we connect and explore and grow and hopefully become better human beings. Anybody up for that? I am. I, I want to do things that make me a better human being and make this world better. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads uh, Church, and uh, we're in a series called Listen, where we are exploring what does it mean to honor the light in another person. The light in me honors the light in you. We talked about this last week a little bit, and, uh, and we're exploring ways in which we can truly engage, encounter, and understand how we can understand one another. And uh, last week, we brought out this anchor verse that I'm encouraging everybody to memorize this proverb, uh, to put it into your heart. It says, whoever answers before listening, there's this folly and shame. It's a good word of warning. There's this folly and shame, uh, answering before listening. We want to be people who truly listen. And last week, we kind of talked about this idea that uh, listening isn't just letting someone else speak, right? Listening isn't waiting our turn to talk. There's something more to it. And that's what we're doing. So I want to talk this morning about kind of the first step uh, or a initial step in really truly listening uh, and becoming an in- a relationally intelligent person. Before we do that, though, I got to ask a question. I need you to be really honest with me. I know most of the time we aren't honest. It's okay. Um, we all live in grace. But right now, I need you to be honest. Uh, if you're tuning in online, if you're out in the atrium, if you're here in the room, raise your hand up nice and high if you've ever jumped to a conclusion. Anybody ever jumped to a conclusion? How many of you felt really good about yourself after you did that? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, so today's topic might be a little relevant, all right? It says, a hope is that we can learn to understand why we do that. Why do we jump to conclusions? Uh, do you remember learning the scientific method, this way of looking at, at an issue in the world and trying to come up with the answer why, right? And so the scientific method gives us a list of steps, and it starts with an observation. We see something in this world, and we go, I wonder why that works. Right? And so we go through this process. And this, this phrase, don't jump to conclusions, comes from the scientific method where you actually have to go through all these steps before you form your conclusion. But we live in a world that actually excel, we excel at jumping to conclusions. Some of it is just our spiritual gift. We're just that good at it. It just comes so naturally, right? So, so I just, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to people, right, why do we do that? Why, why are we so good at just jumping to conclusions. I mean, and and it happens instantly. Why does that happen? Well, there was a book that was written a few years ago called Crucial Conversations. Anybody ever read this book or heard of this book? It's a fantastic read. Um, And in the book, Crucial Conversations, uh, it really is trying to give us a a way of navigating conversations that are difficult, uh, conversations that have real significance in our lives. And uh, in Crucial Conversations, the authors walk through a series of steps that bring us to action, right? That I would say bring us to a state of like a conclusion in our lives, in, our, in a moment. So we act, right, out of conclusion. We become sure, and so we take an action step. And the steps are this, like we observe something, something happens around us as it relates to myself or in a relationship with someone. And then we tell ourselves a story about that observation. 
And then we have a feeling, an emotion, and then we act. Like, that's how this works, right? And the issue is in that portion of telling a story. So we encounter uh, someone who looks like they look at us in a cross way, right? We encounter somebody who doesn't say hi to us in the hallway at work. And we, we have that observation and we tell ourselves a story. Oh, they just think they're better than me. They don't want to have anything to do. What did I do? They're jealous of me. We tell ourselves these stories. We have an emotion and then we act. And we all know that when emotion is high, intelligence is low. Y'all experience that? That's not just me, right? The more we get emotional, the more we move out of like our thinking, rational brain into kind of that animal brain and we just, we act, right? It's always why it's a good idea to when you feel your emotions rising, go, time out. Nothing good is going to happen when I am this emotional, right? It's also a never good idea to tell somebody to stop being so emotional, Anybody ever had that experience too? That doesn't work out very well either because when you're emotional, you're not thinking, we're not rational and that's what happens. And so what we have to do is we have to learn how to stop telling ourselves a story. How do I, how do I stop that? How do I break that mode? Well, we can learn from the scientific method. The best way to break the story, the best way to jump backwards, not go to the conclusion is to ask a good question. Right? We make an observation, and so we start asking questions. And that's what I want to talk about today is questions and the power of questions. Jesus asked 307 questions in the New Testament. Jesus loved to ask questions. And Jesus asked questions different than us. Right? We ask questions generally for information, right, so that we can make our case potentially. But we don't really think about questions as an opportunity for transformation. We're not very good at that. We're not very good at saying, here's my opportunity to ask a good question so that I might be transformed or so that somebody else might be transformed. And, and the reason why Jesus was so good at this was because Jesus wasn't afraid of reality. He dug into reality. And if we're honest, as people who uh, faith might be a big part of your life or you're exploring faith being a big part of your life, Sometimes our spirituality, our relationship with God can tend to be this escape from reality. See, there's a fine line even between like that song that we listened to or we sang earlier, that line that says, uh, I will rest in the Father's hands, leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest and leave the rest. In the like there's something wonderful about that, but it has to be balanced, Right? We can't just sit back and assume that I can make the problem and then just let God fix everything or even let other people make the problem. And I, I don't have to worry about the plight or the oppression of others. There's this fine balance. And oftentimes, faith and spirituality does become a crutch and it becomes this uh, invitation out of the world. But Jesus, if we really look at his life and study his words, Jesus actually invites us into the world, deeply into the pain and the hurt. And oftentimes, he digs into the reality of a person's life or their belief system or their structure through this idea of questions. As I was doing some research for the talk today, I came across a blog post by a guy named Matt Teeb, engaging through asking five ways that Jesus asked questions. And I really liked a lot of the ways in which he structured this. So I'm indebted to him a little bit in that I've taken some of these five ways, and I've changed a little bit of one because you know, I've got to innovate somewhere along the way or else what are you paying me for? But this is a great little article and a great way to think about, the, in a broad perspective, the ways in which Jesus would ask questions. 
And in his blog post, he talks about these. And one of the ways that Jesus would ask questions is that Jesus asked clear questions, clear questions. These were questions that needed a yes or no answer or a clear answer. It wasn't like, hey, let's just go sit and uh, let's just talk you know, in theory over and over again. It was a very clear, poignant question. And I want to just look at, explore a couple of these different. So Jesus said things like, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life or her life? Who could do that? That's a pretty poignant, clear question. Who can worry their way into another year of life? Right? And the clear answer to that is no one, right? But that's a question, right? That's, that just, you can debate it all you want, but there is really a clear answer to that. And Jesus would ask questions like this. He would say, what do you want me to do for you when he encounters a blind man? What do you want me to do for you? Like he brings out the question. I want, he's calling people into action. There's a clear answer to that. He says, do you want to get well? Right? There's, there's just a clarity to those types of questions. Oftentimes we ask questions or we make statements that are just unclear. But Jesus wanted to bring a measure of clarity and poignancy to what he was asking. Another way that Jesus would ask questions or another reason why Jesus asked questions was to connect with people. Jesus wanted to connect with the people that he was engaging with. So he would ask questions like this. What do you think? Right? That's a way to connect with someone. What's your perspective on this matter? A simple way to connect with people, Jesus would say, what's your name? <laughs> what's your name? Right? What, what is it? Who are you? Kind of questions. And sometimes Jesus would ask really deep questions that would get it to the heart of the pain or the hurt in a person's life. Right? In Luke 24, he says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Like, that's not a two-second <laughs> conversation. That's like digging into what's going on behind the scenes. What's going on in your heart, in your life? What are your fears? And Jesus would also ask, ask questions from a place of compassion. I don't know that Jesus ever asked questions in a space of anger or asked questions to be uh, diminutive, diminutive to people. But we, over and over again, we see that Jesus was filled with compassion and so there's one story in the Gospel of Matthew where a woman comes and she breaks this jar of perfume open, very expensive stuff, spills it on Jesus's feet, washes his feet with this perfume and his head, and then dries it with her hair. And the disciples get outraged and they start pressing in. Why would you do this? Think of all the weight. They were being very pragmatic, very budget driven. I can appreciate that, right? Like, why would you do that with all this? We could, have, we could have fed so many people with this. Imagine what could have been done, they said. And Jesus, in compassion, looking at this woman, he says to them, why are you bothering her? <laughs> I love it. He could have just said, leave her alone. But he asked the question, right? Why are you bothering her? Well, Jesus, you know, it all starts to come out and transformation can take place. There's another beautiful story that we get in the Gospel of John where this woman is caught in adultery uh, and we don't, and, and surely the man was caught in adultery too, but that's a whole other topic for a different day. And they bring this woman to Jesus and they want to stone her because the law says stone her. This is a capital crime, a capital punishment. It's a hot topic in our world, in our country right now too. And so he said, they said, listen, the law says she deserves to die. And so Jesus goes through this odd series of events and he writes some things on the ground and he says, okay, so whoever has 
never sinned at all. You've never made a mistake. You go ahead and throw the first stone and then everybody else will follow. And then it says from the oldest to the youngest, they all dropped their stones and they walked away. So now it's just Jesus and he's left with this woman. This kind of like mic drop moment, by the way, like, right? And, and, and Jesus could have done anything here. Jesus could have just walked away. Jesus could have skipped to the end of the story where he tells the woman now, you know, go and don't do this again because I might not be there, right? He doesn't say, he starts with this question. He says, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? He asks this question that's filled with deep compassion because he wants her to know that they're no better than she is because her whole life, she's been told that everybody's better than her. And so Jesus asks the question so that she can bring to the, tr- the answer this truth and be transformed to know that nobody's better than you. And Jesus would also ask questions, uh, not just from a place of compassion, but he would ask questions that would evoke curiosity in people's minds, right? He would ask them questions that would cause them to pause and go, hmm, I never thought about it like that. So he says, who's greater? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? When he's giving a lesson on what does it really mean to lead? What does it mean to, to follow me in leadership in a new way? And so he asks this question that evokes a curious conversation that would flow out of it. I love this question that he asks that evokes curiosity inside of the disciples. The storm has come, it's raging on. He's in the boat, he's sleeping through it all. He's so irresponsible. He wakes up, they're freaking out. He calms the storm. They're freaking out even more now that he's calmed the storm. It's quite interesting. Like they're afraid of the storm. Then Jesus is like, all right, just calm down, wind. I'm trying to get some sleep here. And then the disciples are freaking out even more now that Jesus can talk to the winds and the waves. He looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What a great question for introspect, right? Like, why are you so afraid? Do you still have, have you seen, not seen everything? And I think Jesus is trying to get them to say, no, we do have faith, right? We do believe. He's bringing them to that point. But they have to examine inside of their hearts and their lives. They have to get curious about who they are and why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And one thing that I think Jesus did where he would ask questions that was so powerful that we really don't have in our arsenal, that we really need to develop, is that Jesus would ask disorienting questions. Jesus would ask a question to disorient people out of their certainty. What they would be so sure of, he would ask a question. And this was often the way Jesus would respond to critics that would come and try and trap him. These are the types of questions he would ask. One of those uh, situations was this story where... um, They came and said, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love God, love your neighbor. They're basically the same thing. He says, well, who's my neighbor? He tells the story of this Samaritan who's beaten by the side of the road. It's oftentimes called the good Samaritan, but I've often said, I don't like the word good Samaritan because I think that's racist because it's to say that we have to, we should be shocked that there's a good Samaritan, right? But this Samaritan is beaten up by the side of the road and, and three people come by. One is a Jewish priest, one's a Pharisee. They're these Jewish leaders that you would expect to be the heroes in the story, but they're too busy. And then a Samaritan comes by that was despised. And the Samaritan takes care of the man and binds him up, takes him on his, uh, on his horse or his donkey and takes him to an inn, pays for all of him to get better. And then he says, you know, who's the neighbor? He finishes the story, not with a statement, like this is what it is. He says, which of these three do you think 
was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And what Jesus was saying, what makes you a neighbor is not your ethnicity, what makes you a neighbor. The, 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 the obligation of neighbor is proximity. Proximity, the opportunity I have to be someone's neighbor. But he asks a great question that just flips the whole thing on its head. Because they would have said, who's your neighbor? Well, the Jews are my neighbors. But he tells this story and then asks this poignant question to kind of say, hey, listen, what you think you're so sure of, I can tell you one little story and it'll throw the whole thing out of whack. It disorients, which builds humility, right? There's another uh, question that Jesus asks in Luke that's very interesting. You might not think of it as a disorienting one. You might know this story. Uh, Jesus is pressing, uh, he's walking through a crowd that's pressing in around him. And there's a woman who has had a blood disorder for many, many years. And she has spent all of her money on doctors and she cannot find any healing. And she has in her head, if I just reach out and if I just touch his garment, it's interesting that she doesn't want to touch him because she knows that would be breaking the law. She knows that she would be doing something sinful at that point in time. She'd be making him unclean. If I could just touch his garment, then I believe I'll be healed. So as they're going along, she reaches out, she touches his garment, and Jesus stops everybody and goes, who, who touched me? <laughs> who touched me? As far as we know, she actually didn't touch Jesus. He touched the garment. But Jesus asked the question, who touched me? And the disciples are like, you are a madman. Like, what is wrong with you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pressing up against you. <laughs> right? I mean, the disciples never got, I mean, it's just so fun to read the disciples' response to Jesus, right? I mean, they're just, what are you talking about, Jesus? Every, no, he says, no, no, no. Somebody touched me because I felt it. I felt power leave me. Like, Jesus knew that he had healed someone. And, and in knowing that, whoever touched him was unclean. Whoever touched him had actually just defiled him. Whoever touched him had just broken the law. So he's bringing this up. And so the woman comes forward and he says, oh, you're clean, go. And he basically disorients everybody by saying, he doesn't even address the fact that a woman touched him. He doesn't address the fact that she was unclean. That she, he doesn't address any of that. He just kind of goes on with his life. And this question, the simple question of who touched me, in the midst of all that's happening, Jesus had that kind of awareness of what was going on and what the people around him needed. That's connection. And so Jesus, as we look at the way he would ask questions and how he would employ questions, we see that Jesus connected with and he transformed people by asking what we'll call honest questions. Honest questions. And I think these five characteristics are the qualities of honest questions. They're not easy questions, right? Sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes they cause us to to feel a sense of like repentance. They cause us to question things that we've held, but they're honest questions that transform. They're clear. They come from a place of wanting to connect. They flow out of compassion. They open our minds to being curious about ourselves and others. They disorient us into a space of faith and not certainty, to a space of humility. That's what it means. And in our lives, in our everyday normal peacemaking lives, we can take this same idea and we can bring it into the challenges that we face in our current realities, right? Where we're trying to listen, where we have friends, people we love in our families that we, we differ on, our opinions on, and we all have our certainty, where we don't understand one another, and we can get so frustrated and get so angry, we can actually stop jumping to conclusions by employing honest questions. 
And so at a very practical level, I want to encourage us to remember that real listening, understanding, it begins with asking these types of questions, not with conclusions. We have to recognize, oh, I'm jumping to a conclusion. I'm assuming that I fully understand what this person is saying. I assume things about their life. Those are my conclusions that I just bring. But if we start with questions, we start with questions, we can begin down this journey of understanding. And I want to encourage you to ask questions of three people, three people. I should probably say entities. <laughs> First of all, ask honest questions of yourself, ask honest questions of others, and ask honest questions of God. Right? We need to bring these types of questions, first of all, to ourselves. Have I actually asked myself these questions? Have I thought through why I believe what I believe? Have I given uh, thought to the broader perspectives? Do I, am, am I exploring my own life? Am I open to questions being asked of me? And so we ask tough questions of ourselves, but honest questions. You know, I, I, have, a, um, I have a little... Uh, template that I use every week when I write one of these talks. I know you're like, what? <laughs> How does it make no sense if you use a template? But I do. And uh, one of the questions, I, I write some questions in there at the bottom. I have five questions that I think through every time I do a message. And one of those questions is, where does my white middle American uh, upbringing, my white middle class American male upbringing influence this talk? How does it influence my understanding of Scripture? How does it influence uh, what I say we ought to do in our everyday normal lives? And it's not to say that I, I'm sorry that I grew up white or middle class or male or American. It's just to say that I have to ask myself that honest question because it certainly impacts the way I encounter Scripture. It just does. How could it not? If I were not white, if I were, if I were you know, uh, Middle Eastern, if I were female, I would ask myself that question, like how does being a Middle Eastern female affect my interpretation in this talk, right? How does it exclude? How does it include? I have to think about those things. These are the types of honest questions we have to bring to ourselves. And we should ask these of other people. Instead, when we start to feel that emotion rise, that's the trigger, right? That's the sign. Okay, I've told myself a story, <laughs> right? Whenever we're highly emotional or highly offended, that's the false self, generally speaking. That's like something questioning or challenging, something that's probably going to pass away that's not eternal about who we are. And we just need to take a breath and go, okay, I'm jumping to a conclusion. How can I get back to a question? Ask a clarifying question. Ask a question to connect with someone. Ask a question to evoke curiosity in them. And then ask questions of God. This is one of those things that I find fascinating that I don't do a good job of, but part of prayer is asking these big questions of God and just like sitting in it, sitting in the confusion. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll be praying and, and thinking and, and I don't want to give you this impression that I have like a, a like prayer closet that I go sit in and I like meditate for hours on end. I really, that's not like my world. I've never been able to do that. Uh, I have this tendency to practice more of like Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God, or pray without ceasing, just trying to bring conversations with God into the everyday moments of my life. And a lot of times I will just, I'll, I'll ask the question, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Or I'll have to, I'll have to ask questions like, God, I don't have any idea if I'm right about this. So I need you to like, show me if I'm not. 
and, and just ask these questions of God that can evoke some curiosity. Say, what do you think about this, God? I mean, I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us in the events that have transpired over the last week, let's say, just week, forget about the last five years or four years or two years, right? I wonder if how many of us have ever sat down in a quiet space and said, God, what do you think about everything that happened last week? And just waited. And that's not, I'm not trying to convince you. I didn't do that, (laughs) all right? Like, I didn't do that. But like, these are the types of wonderful, beautiful questions that we just aren't, we aren't trained in our spirituality to do. We're trained to bring everything to God that we want, bring our fears, those types of things. But we never actually pause to consider maybe God wants to reveal something about God's self to us and the heart of God in the middle of these things that we go through. So ask honest questions of yourself, of others, and of God. And if we'll do all of this, if we'll actually say, okay, I've got to employ these questions, I think we will become better humans. And I think we can make the world a better place. And here's why. Because I think we will grow our intelligence, our relational intelligence. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 15 says, the heart of the intelligent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The heart of the intelligence acquires knowledge. If intelligence is our capacity for learning, right? It's not necessarily the amount of things we know, but it's our capacity for learning about a subject, right? So there's different types of intelligence. Some people have a a huge capacity for business. They just have a business mind. Some people have incredible capacity for serving the poor. Some, Some have incredible capacity for working with fourth graders and fifth graders, and some have incredible intelligence around working with uh, college students. Some of you are even so blessed to have intelligence to deal with middle school students, right? I mean, we, we all have our, there's different types of intelligence that we all have. And I want to talk this, this idea of relational intelligence. If we want to grow and gain knowledge, right, in relationships, the only way to gain intelligence, to grow our capacity, to grow our knowledge in any situation is to ask a question, right? We have to ask. It it assumes that we need to learn something. And so I honestly think that relational intelligence, just like any intelligence, is conceived when an honest question is asked. That intelligence begins, we can begin to acquire knowledge and understanding when we ask these honest questions. And then as we ask honest questions, that knowledge and understanding that can seem so elusive, those things are born when we actually hear a truthful answer. It's not when a truthful answer is given, but it's when we actually hear it. When we actually pause and reflect on it, when we listen to a person's story, their life, their experience, and here's why that makes us better. It's not because, oh, now we just know, or now, but when we truly have knowledge, when we truly have understanding, here's the beauty of it all. Mercy grows. Genuine mercy grows. That song, uh, Bigger Than I Thought, says, you understand me. There's that line in there, you understand me. Why is it that God can have complete mercy, 100%, can have such perfect mercy with you, and you are screwed up? Don't tell me you're not. You know you are. (laughs) I'm screwed up. Look at the world around us. If the world is screwed up, I hate to break the news to you, it's because we are, because we are the world, right? I mean, that's just the truth of it. But God has incredible mercy for us. Why is that? Because God understands 
understands me perfectly. This past week, we've, we've seen, I think, three executions take place in our country. And I know some of you are like, oh, he's going to get political. I'm just, I'm not, I'm just, I want to talk about mercy. And this seems to be a realm in our current reality that I'm not going to hide from. But as I started to look at this, and as I started to think about this idea of execution and violence and violence, to, responding to violence, right? We have this story of Lisa Montgomery who was executed this past week. Her life was ended for her crimes. I don't know that anybody could look at what she did and not say that that is heinous, that it's awful, it's horrible, it's terrible, it's, it's incomprehensible. I think part of the reason why it's incomprehensible because we understand that it's inhumane. We understand that there's something wrong ultimately in a person's psyche, in their spirituality, in their understanding that would lead to the things that perhaps she had done. But when you dig in and you hear a bit of the story, you start to see some of the things that not only she did, but things that were done to her, the amount of abuse that she faced in her life, the experiences that shaped her, the experiences that wounded her. And in that understanding of her life story, perhaps that's what can bring an understanding of mercy to the situation. To say that maybe, maybe ending a life has no redemptive work whatsoever in justice. And that is not to say that there's not consequences for our actions. That's not to say that there's not behavior that's criminal. It's not to say any of that, but it's to say that mercy flows out of understanding and knowledge and asking questions. It's easy. I mean, I just think it's easy to stop at the story, like, look at what this person did. But to ask questions like, why? How could a person do that? What happened to a person? And now all of a sudden we start to gain some, and, and then there's this belief in mercy that can triumph because genuine mercy flows from knowledge and understanding. And I, and, and I, always, I, I say this often because I do think that, that these things have been avoided in, in evangelical Christianity, particularly white, powerfully driven evangelical Christianity. We haven't talked about this because we haven't needed it. <laughs> just quite honestly. But it's fundamental to who Jesus is. Jesus encounters a woman who deserved the death penalty by his own law. This is Jesus, the, the namesake for the faith. I mean, we don't, we don't have a, a, a more clear example. The law says she ought to die. And Jesus says, let the person who has the first, who is without sin, pass that judgment. And yet somehow we've missed that. We've missed it. We've missed it. Because it hasn't been the goal of our faith to understand people, to have mercy. The goal of our faith has been to get to go to heaven or to not go to hell probably is probably better understood. But those things don't transform the world. They don't make the world a better place. They might make me feel better about myself. So as we wrap up, as we kind of head out, as you kind of check the box, what's God inviting you into today? So I did my church thing, I connected, I went, and yep, we definitely need to listen more. And Ryan gave us a little social tirade, <laughs> challenged a little, but what's God inviting you into today? 
you know, perhaps you would classify yourself as spiritually disconnected right now, disenfranchised and dissatisfied. And somehow you've landed your way here into this crossroads thing. I hope that you're experiencing God in this talk, inviting you to ask good questions of this place of crossroads. That you'll explore what we're all about here, what we're trying to be about, and how that this maybe could be a safe place for you and your family. A safe place for you to maybe ask the questions you weren't allowed to ask in a different environment. A safe place for you to be who God has created you to be. A safe place to know that we don't have all the answers we just have a whole bunch of people that have the humility to explore questions together and try to make the world better. Maybe you've been uh, in this faith thing for just a short while. You're new to what we call peacemaking or this idea of living my life in the pattern and pathway of Jesus. And, and I would encourage you, maybe God's just inviting you to start to explore those questions that Jesus asked. Like you, you haven't really, maybe, maybe you're just kind of new to the whole thing of Jesus, but you just know in your spirit, you've got a sense that, that there's wholeness that's found in this Jesus. And so maybe this week, just ask Google, what questions did Jesus ask? And Google will speak to you. Bring them right up on your screen. Just explore some of those questions, right? Just read through them and wonder. Ask those questions of yourself. Imagine Jesus asking you those questions. And then maybe you're here and you are in it. You've been in this journey for a long time. Your journey predates crossroads. Like you've just had this privilege of, of having a life of faith, of never really feeling a sense of disenfranchisement from God or disconnection. I wanna encourage you, maybe God's asking you to do something really challenging. Maybe God's inviting you to reach out to that person who you have a difficult time understanding and go ask some honest questions and preface it with, I don't think I've really given you the opportunity to help me understand. I haven't done that and I'm really trying to be better. And so could I buy you a cup of coffee or could we Zoom and, and, and could you, I just a couple questions, I'd love to understand. Think about the questions that will help you connect with that person help you honor them, honor the light in them. That's tough stuff. <laughs> I always say religion is easy. Jesus is difficult. But maybe that's where God's inviting. And maybe God is inviting all of us to uh, get that book, Crucial Conversations, and, and find the wisdom in it in our relationships and to read that this week. Either way, no matter where you are in that journey of faith, I think God is inviting us to be a people who seek intelligence by asking honest questions, to connect with people, to show our compassion, to build curiosity, to disorient what we're so sure of, to be transformed, not just to get information. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you listen to us. It's amazing that prayer is such a one-sided endeavor, oftentimes, God, that we're just talking and you're listening and we walk away feeling so good. <laughs> oh, Lord, would we just learn that lesson? Sometimes we just need to ask a question and let people talk. And that's hard and it's difficult, but give us the courage to do that, Lord. Give us the wisdom 
Help us to know what questions we could ask that would help us to connect with those that are different than us. Now may God bless you and may love keep you. May you experience the grace of God in the beauty of the mountains, in the smile of your neighbor. May you experience the presence of God in the warmth of a friend's embrace. May you experience God in those moments where you want to speak this week and the spirit of God quickens to your mind. Ask a question and may you honor that. And may this week be filled with opportunities to be challenged by the life of Martin Luther King Jr. as well. And so God, we thank you that we have one another. We thank you that we have your spirit guiding us. We give you this week, our everyday normal lives. Would you use us to bring your hope and your joy and your love into our network of people? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 